Welcome to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is your host, DPT Steph, your doctor of physical therapy, bringing you all things PT with an interdisciplinary approach so that you can be the best clinician that you want to be. Thank you for tuning in to the All Things Physical Therapy Podcast. This is Stephanie, your doctor of physical therapy, otherwise known as DPT Steph. On this episode, we'll be talking with DPT Sunny, who I'm so excited to have. And to get us started, why don't you give us a little introduction about yourself? So, hi, I'm Sunny. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. I graduated in 2019 from Washington University in St. Louis in Missouri. After that, I moved to California to start my first full-time job in an outpatient ortho clinic. And then with some changes along the way with COVID, I'm now in um, home health and acute care. So that's a little bit about me. What made you decide to go into PT? When I was in college, I always knew I wanted to do something in the healthcare profession. But so I thought that I would always be doing um, audiology and speech language pathology. But instead, I ended up finding myself you know, into fitness and wanting to work with people with disabilities and realize that in order to bridge those two in between, physical therapy will be the best option. So I ended up pursuing physical therapy towards the end of my undergrad. And that's how I ended up in PT school. Nice. What would you say your favorite setting is so far that you've worked in? Because you worked in a few. So I would say in terms of favorite setting, I honestly do not know. I always thought that I would be a diehard outpatient ortho fan. But then after experiencing the clinic setting and everything and getting a little bit burnt out, I realized that there's pros and cons for each setting. So right now I'm a full-time home health physical therapist and I am enjoying it a lot, but I think it goes back and forth and I probably feel like eventually I might end up pursuing a different setting. I don't know. So there's really not a favorite setting. I like all of them, which is why I'm having this commitment issues. (laughs) I feel that. And I feel that like wholeheartedly because I thought I wanted to do peds going into PT school And then I came out doing acute care. But when I was going through my clinicals, I was like, there's no setting that I necessarily don't like. Like I could work in any of them, right? I know, right? But that's the beauty of physical therapy. It's like, you you always have to stick to one setting in itself. Um, There's so much going into, and it's crazy. I never really knew we even had things like pelvic health for mm-hmm. physical therapy so it's amazing to to see like how many settings that you can actually go into with physical yeah therapy. and there's so many subspecialties too like lymphedema or just specifically women's health or people do pelvic floor but both for women and men so there's a plethora out there which is great for students to know because then you're like oh you get you know burnt out in one of them you could always kind of switch it up and make it a little new and fun and exciting Right. And yeah, it's just there's so much to learn. And I feel like there's really endless possibilities. So it's awesome. Yeah. And I'm so happy to have you on because if you're listening in, me and Sunny still have never met in person. <laughs> we've, <laughs> we've become social media friends, but I still feel like I know her on such a personal level. I want to highlight that because we've been talking 
from like a semi new grad I guess we're kind of molding out of that new grad phase now right Um, but we're both kind of in positions right now where we're like oh crap um, COVID kind of really burned us out so I, I wanted to have you on to talk about that because this is obviously a topic that new grad students everyone talks about but I think you know once you actually experience it it's a whole another bit so why don't you give a little rundown of kind of where you're at right now in this whole air quoted burnout type piece yeah exactly oh my god so it's it's crazy because as a PT student I always thought I heard horror stories about burnout and blah 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 and I'm like yeah that won't apply to me like I have such a big passion for physical therapy I know that I'm gonna love my job and you know And then when I graduated and started working, I realized like, oh, this applies to me too. Like I'm getting burnt out. Um, I'm overworking myself. And there are so many things that I never really thought that would happen that are actually happened as a new grad. Like COVID, that was the worst time ever to like start working on top of that. So it was definitely hard and challenging, but as I navigate through the next few years as a semi-new grad now, I'm starting to learn that I was very naive in PT school, I guess. So it's definitely something that if I were to go back in time, I would really make sure that I dove into deeper in the healthcare system because I personally feel like sometimes the healthcare system can be very profit-driven and broken. And it's really sad to see that because as a new grad, all I thought was, oh, it will be perfect. I'm going to be able to endlessly help people. But I just feel so limited with all the healthcare system going on. And there's so much that I can do about that. So that's definitely something that has been on my mind lately. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I saw a meme recently. I think it was more geared towards nurses. And when you're working in a hospital or an ICU setting, you tend to get more cynical over time because you're exposed to more sickness and more death and all that stuff. And I'm like, you know what? I was like, that's, I actually kind of can relate to that. And it's not exactly something I'm happily to admit that I can relate to because you're not only burdened by all of the health of the people in front of you in the hospital setting or even home health or something more limiting than just you know outpatient orthopedics but then you have COVID in the mix then you're really seeing that effect on people and then you're seeing the effect of healthcare in this country as a whole and I was kind of in the same way coming out of school and going into the hospital I was like I can't wait to get all these people home and discharged and prepped and ready and push them as much as they can to make them stronger in the few days that I see them And then I realized, well, the hospital is breathing down the practitioner's necks, which are breathing down my necks to speed up their discharge and to speed up their eval or to see them twice a day when I don't even have time to really see them every day. And then it also kind of, you're stuck in this like rushed mindset of trying to do X amount of things in a limited amount of time, but you can't do because you have to make priorities to see other patients that you haven't even seen the first time all day. And I feel like I could go on and on and on. And it's really kind of given you this overall perspective that I think as a student, you are under a CI, so you don't necessarily see like, yeah, if Sunny's shaking her head, no, she's agreeing. <laughs> she's like, yeah, you, you don't see the stuff that comes with like the billing and the visit limitations necessarily and all that other stuff, because right. you're like, oh, they're just trying to get you to treat and succeed in your clinical. And then you yeah. get into the real world and you're like, oh, crud. 
Well, so I actually, I agree with you on that because uh, I also, you know, I don't know how many weeks you did for clinical rotations as students, but I had like six weeks, eight weeks and 12 weeks. And that really is not enough on- We had like, six, eight, 10, 12. Yeah, I believe I, I had four total ones. So I believe I had six, eight, 12, 12, or mm. six, eight, 10, 12. I'm not entirely sure, I can't remember. But really, it's only a little portion of your time. And you really won't see the whole system in itself. Yeah. On top of that, when I was a student, they didn't have COVID. So I didn't go through that whole system either, you know. So now when I was working in acute care as a per DM, it was a whole different story. And it just opened up my eyes to the whole billing process and all of that. And seeing the nurses being short-staffed, the PTs being short-staffed, it really, really got to me. And I feel like it really affected my mental health a lot. And trust me, this is something that I never thought I would get as a student. And so here I am now. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And I mean, I, you know, I have felt so empowered lately by seeing so many other healthcare professionals on social media that are either taking leaves of absences or resigning and getting new jobs (laughs) yeah that's the one thing that we can take from social media right you see all these people collectively feeling broken and you know they just want to do what's best for the people in front of them that are sick and really need help and then you're limited in a face with so many barriers and that's like you know people can change this conversation will be like oh go cash base well you can't go cash base in a hospital system you can't go cash base for those that are you know, elderly and homebound or Pete, I mean, yes. Okay. Someone could argue and say, yes, you can do non-Medicare and this thing and that thing, but real talk, you can't always have that. So what would you say now, looking back on maybe the past year or two, do you feel like you would have changed anything? Do you feel like there was a way to prevent the burnout? I mean, cause my answer to that question is, I think it's just kind of something that you have to admit it's going to happen to you at one point and then you have to figure out how to pivot once you're in that situation right right I think um the most important thing is actually realizing that you were burnt out and really being in sync with your body Uh, I actually opened up about this before and you know about it as well I ended up in the emergency room a couple of months ago back in March and uh, I think even though the doctors told me that it was because of dehydration and it was because I was being very tachycardic, my heart rate was really high and I had no idea what was going on. But honestly, I think it was an accumulation of the whole past year and the burnout that I have been ignoring. I feel like I'm very hard on myself and I'm sure a lot of new grads can be, especially being new in the field and now with the demands of physical therapy going down I believe with COVID it's like you have that urge to really need to work and in my case pay off student loan debt and I found myself working six to seven days a week sometimes trying to pay off debt also trying to um, go against COVID and make my job situation work it was a lot of stress to handle I was working every holiday last year and because I couldn't go back home to my family in Brazil Uh, And then I really, I just thought everything was okay. I ignored my feelings and how burnt out I was. I really wasn't in tune with my body until that happened in the emergency room. And I got this big bill from the hospital, which clearly indicates how profit driven it is. Um, Definitely in order to really prevent that burnout, you really have to make sure that you 
first you know that you're going into physical therapy for the right reasons right and knowing how the system is and not being um ignorant about it and making sure that you're really learning like to take care of yourself throughout the meantime you know taking time for yourself i felt very guilty when i would take time off in the beginning you know i'll be like oh my gosh my patients need me I can't be doing this. I would be guilt tripping myself, but really no. If you aren't in the best shape ever, you won't be able to take good care of your patients. And exactly. You really have to realize. Yeah. And I think, you know, just another tangent off of that too, that I realized with COVID, a lot of people, the, the level of restrictions or the level of protection, I should say, differs by everybody. I'm sure we all have family and friends who have taken no precautions at all since March 2020. And they've been living their life like nothing's happened. We have people who are, you know, living their life, but living cautiously. And we have some people who still are very fearful of leaving the house without like a ton of protection. And I know for myself with these restrictions, I have older family members that I was so terrified of protecting and I did not want to bring something home from the hospital. And then I was like, holy crap, this is such a mental burden that I was taking on. And I was like, you have to live your life a little bit and just do so cautiously. So for me, I was working, working, working. And then I wasn't, there's work and then there's play. And there was like no play in my life because I was so terrified to do something that could potentially infect myself or infect people around me. And I was like, you can't do that. Like your days off, you have to go out and you have to do things. So I've had people in my DMs that are boasting about working 67 hours a week or working at millish type clinics. I'm like, that's great. If you can do that, maybe you're a person that can only function on three, four or five hours of sleep a night. If you're listening to this and that's you, God be with you. That's incredible. And unfortunately you have to remind yourself. And like, obviously when we're students too, it's the same theory of those who can study all day without any breaks and there's people who need breaks there's people that you have to like kind of be in tune with yourself and realize you know what I'm someone that maybe needs to go on a weekend to get away every month or someone who needs to take a vacation day once or twice every month or two like you have to really be in tune with yourself and not look at what everybody else is doing and it's like okay if I feel myself slipping through the crack what can I do right now for myself and you have to be selfish about it yeah and I th- that's funny because I kind of would associate like not sleeping and studying all day long as something to be proud of when I was a PT student. No. Then, <laughs> I know. But you know what's funny? It's like when you're in PT school, I think all my life growing up, I had to strive for A's. And then I got into PT school. I slowly started shifting my mindset to a point where I was like, hey, it's okay if I get a B or C as long as I pass and I pass the boards. That really is a point. (laughs) I'm so happy you made that change because I I tell every student that has messaged me something along the lines with like some kind of grade related message. Uh And I say every single time, this is my story and I'm going to say it on the podcast because you guys need to hear this. My first ever kinesiology test I thought was so ridiculously hard. And I got like an 85 and I think the average was in the eighties. And I was like, yes, 85. Cause I thought I failed. And I was like, oh my God, that's great. I'll take it, whatever. And there were people around me and they're some of my 
best friends till this day and I always will tell talk to them about this and I'm like do you remember that time that we had a kinesiology exam and you were crying over your 85 or you were like <laughs> crapping your pants over an 88 and here I am in the corner like hooraying for myself there was such a pressure that these kids put on themselves from being 4.0s or straight a students or yeah. 3.8s or whatever going into PT school and it's mm-hmm. you have to as you go through PT school as you go through life like the perfectionism it needs mm-hmm. to start coming down because you realize like you can't function like that every single day. Right. I think it's also because of how competitive PT schools are lately yeah. that you have that pressure during undergrad and to like fulfill all the extracurricular activities. I don't even know if they're doing GRE anymore. I feel so old because I don't it's even like know. It's like recommended, about- not required. Okay. Well, in a way that's good, but like having the GPA requirements and all of that and I think that's how I was built into like studying to go on to the next step. Okay, I'm studying in undergrad to get into PT school. So I need good grades. And then when I got into PT school, I realized unless, for example, I have to go to residency, which Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm not going to. I realized really there's no point on putting so much stress on myself. No one cares about your GPA. They just want you to be licensed. Right. Exactly. And the other thing is like, you know, WashU in St. Louis is the number one PT school and I loved going there. I have no regrets, but um, in my mindset was also because my Asian parents were like, oh yeah, you're, you got into the number one school. So you do have to go into the number one school. And I thought that it really, really was important to go into the most ranked school in order to be a good physical therapist. But I really don't think it is the point as long as you get a good support system in school and um, it's accredited, I think it really is something that you can just go into. It really doesn't have to be all about the ranking. So Right, 100%. And the rankings too, it's, it's not like, you know, the number one business school in undergrad is going to get you to like the best MBA program and that's going to get you to the best, or like even in law, like if you go to a, a top tier law school and then you end up in one of those big law firms and Boston or New York say you know PT is not like that and it's you can go to the very different programs bottom of the barrel versus number one in the country and still apply for the same job and your GPA and where your your school might be opening you to connections but in reality you also need to just be who you are because you're the person that's interacting with that patient Like in my time that I have applied to multiple job offers, they really didn't care about care about which school I went to, honestly, as long as I had my license. So really, no point. They never once in my life asked for my school GPA, okay, ever. So you really don't have never. To no, seriously. And <laughs> the other thing is, I also felt burnt out about like when I had practicals, and initially in the beginning. I failed a bunch of practicals and they also, they give like this second, second chance. It's like a system. If you fail the first time, you can go through the second round. But I remember being so emotionally and mentally burnt out. I found out that I failed my first practical and I was so hard on myself. But it happens. Honestly, it happens. You it's still, so you still graduated. You still passed right. your boards. You still got a job. Yes, exactly. Let's normalize this. Even yep. if you fail, it doesn't mean that you are a failure and you don't put so much pressure on yourself. This is just one of my biggest points that I tell PT students. Yep. 
And that's another thing I get so many DMs about, oh my God, I failed a practical or I like just passed my practical and then I throw it on my story. And if you guys follow me, I have a highlight, I believe it's still up. That's Mm -hmm. literally student advice. Like it was literally screenshots of just messages from students that I save in the highlight for students to read. Because how many people message me saying that they failed practicals or they've even failed exams and people have even failed clinicals. And they've right. gone back and they've still passed and they still got their license and they're still PTs that are practicing. Did you like make a mistake on a practical that you like know stands out with you like forever now? Like, do you remember like why or how you failed or was it just nerves? There's there's nothing specifically that I can remember, but actually, never mind. So there's something that I believe I'm I did in a practical. I think I cussed or something in the middle of the practical. And I seriously thought that I was going to get points taken out of it. Um, And then I think I also gave like an analogy. I think I was telling someone to do like a serratus punch or something. And I told the teacher who was grading me, oh, like, I was so nervous. I had no idea what was coming out of my mouth. So I cussed a little bit and I said, okay, well, um, just pretend that you have a face that you will hate in front of you and punch it in the ceiling, okay? (laughs) And so, seriously, it's like, my practicals, my mind was just blank, you know? (laughs) My mind was mushed on every practical, and I think it only got better by the time I was, like, the end of the last semester that we had. Right. I have a story, too, I want to share. So, I remember, I don't know if it was my first practical or even my second, maybe my third practical, but it was the first semester of PT school Mm -hmm. and we were doing goniometry and the prompt that I got was to measure ulna deviation. Uh My nervous self was so psyched out that I not only put the goniometer on the middle finger instead of the wrist, I went to the radial side and not the ulna side. And so when I was done, the teacher told the student that I did it on to leave. Like, he's like, okay, like you can go, you're good. And he like stares at me and he's like, do you want to show me again? And then like, I did it right. And I was like, oh my God, I did not just completely mess up. So he was like the nicest teacher in the world and thank God he passed me. But he was like, I know that you knew that. Cause he's like, that's an easy one. But like, are you okay? <laughs> And I was like, I don't really know. And I will forever, ever, ever remember that. And if I'm ever back in ortho, we'll never mess that up again. <laughs> but it's like, there's tons and tons of stories I'm sure a thousand people have. Oh, yes, for sure. I feel like you could even make a whole podcast series on this, honestly, because <laughs> I think nervousness gets the best of us in practical. And the funny thing is with practical, it, it, it is so subjective because either the tester will be super strict or the, the tester wants. That's so, the one thing I hated is the, the, the TAs who helped out, you either got like the really strict one or the one that like didn't really care. Oh yeah, oh my gosh. Every time I came into a practical room and saw this really strict TA or something, my hands, my armpits, they were like sweating and I was just mumbling words that I don't even remember coming out of my mouth. It was so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't want to go back to those times. <laughs> one and done, that's it. I've had enough. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not a student anymore. <laughs> what about clinicals? Have you ever made a mistake on clinicals? Now, I know being on the other side now that, yes, students make mistakes in clinicals all the time. Biggest concern is always safety, right? You can make a mistake as long as you're not going to, like, have something happen to the patient. Have you ever done something, have a funny story from clinicals of something that you maybe, like, chose the wrong limb or something like that? 
So I don't have a funny story, but I had a very bad experience one time. And I actually opened up about this, I believe on Instagram. I think it was my very first acute care experience. And that was my second clinical rotation. And at that time, the timing sucked because I believe we might not have gone through the coursework for acute care, maybe, you know, in terms of cardiopulm and all of that. So I really had no idea what I was going into. And matter of fact, this clinical rotation was a, was a rotation where it wasn't even like ICU based, it was more elective surge. So elective, elective surgeries and um, med surge, general med and all of that. So, but it was an acute care rotation. And I remember this one time I had a patient who was total hip replacement and I was in together with another physical therapist and I started noticing the patient going very wide and feeling nauseous and I thought something was wrong. So I put the blood pressure cuff on the patient and matter of fact, obviously hypotension. So the patient was like low 60s over 40s. And as soon as that started beeping, the two, like two therapists came in the room and just jumped in and I was just there standing like, what am I supposed to do? I have no idea what to do. Like it was so sudden. And they just put, the, put her in bed and like immediately let her in supine, right? And I was like, what is going on? Everything just happened so fast. And so then after that, my CI came over, talked to me. She was like, oh yeah, everything's okay. You just needed to make sure that her, her blood pressure was back up. She was feeling nauseous and everything. And then I thought I like, okay, this is good. And then the next day I get a phone call from my school clinical instructor saying, oh, your um, CI called and she said that you, you were a safety concern. And I was like, what the fuck? What? But okay, in a way, I was like, in my mind, I was like, if I hadn't put that blood pressure cuff on the patient, they would not even have known about the blood pressure in the first first uh. event. I was so mind blown. And yeah, I was in a, it was a blur. Mm -hmm. And I put so much pressure on myself. I was so mad at myself, but also mad at the whole situation. Yeah. But the good thing is that I had a very good support with my school and my um, teacher was very understanding. She listened to my side and um, she reassured me that it was okay. But after that, it got so awkward with my CI, like mm. so awkward. And I had to go through like four more weeks with the CI and it was torture. I just had like this traumatic experience and I promised myself, I'm never going to acute care rotation ever again. Like ever, I'm never gonna step inside a hospital again, <laughs> ever. No. I had so much fear, you know? And that's the one thing that's like, t it's tough too, because clinical instructors can really make or break a setting for a right. student. And this is, I know not every school, unfortunately, is run the same way as far as involvement when mm -hmm. the students are on clinicals. But I mean, if you're listening to this and you're about to go on clinicals, my biggest piece of advice for the second you have any kind of conflict or even if it's minor conflict, just write to your school, write to somebody and let them know. So it's on record. Mm -hmm. So it's not like six weeks in and you only have two weeks left and now you have all these issues that have piled up and compounded and now you're just going to your school because you're paying tuition for this and exactly. you should be getting the most out of it. And unfortunately, there are not so good CIs out there. 
but the counterpart of it, there is not so good students out there either. So in February, I took the APTA's uh, credentialed CI course, and there were clinicians that were just retaking this course. They've been practitioners for like 15, 20 years. Some of the stories that they had about students, I was like, yikes. Yeah, you know, like they're very disrespectful, very off-putting. They don't care what CIs say. You know, it can go both ways, but that's why I always say like stay in touch with your school throughout because you don't want the CI blaming you. You don't want to necessarily blame the CI, but if there is an issue, get them involved ASAP because they can be that medium to clear up that awkward conversation that maybe you don't want to have like face-to-face with your CI. Right. So could be helpful. But I I never have an experience being a CI because I only do on-call in the acute care setting. But at the same time, after this experience, A, I learned in a way, if I were to, to be a better CI. But on top of that, B, I don't think I would want that responsibility to be a CI. It's a lot. It's a lot, right? I, I don't know. You say you speak it for yourself because I have no idea. Yeah, I mean, I remember sitting with my supervisor after. I had a student for eight weeks recently. Gem of a student. But I was like, holy crap, that was a lot more work than I realized. Mm-hmm. Like you have to, because you have to be on like high alert the entire time to make sure not only are you teaching, but you're supervising for safety and everything right. in between. And at the end, I was like, I'm exhausted. <laughs> like, Wow. <laughs> So, you know, students, give your CIs some grace, especially if they're you're your first, second, third student that they've had, because they're learning along with you how to kind of work through this whole situation. And it's, I swear, a lot harder than it looks. I had coworkers who recently just had their first student too. And when they were done, they were like, okay, no, yeah, like I'm tired. <laughs> you, know, you know, what's surprising to me is that I never really thought that I would qualify as a CI for only one or two years of experience now um and so thinking in the perspective of if I were to be a CI I feel like I would want a student who would be maybe in the third year or so who had more coursework in compared to someone who's in the first year and who hasn't gotten a coursework in I'm not sure yeah but I think that's also why when I first got my first clinical rotation, I wanted to go into outpatient ortho because I wanted something less complex to start off with. Is it uh, less complex? Uh, I don't know. It's, it wasn't, but in a way it was less scary. It wasn't like all these lines and medical equipment with people in bed. It was more independent people, you know? I'm- but I've heard that too. So like, it depends on the person too. It's like, I enjoyed being in the hospital, but I had some classmates that were the same way and they were like, oh my gosh, no one's sick. Like, I'm not scared to touch them. And then some people go in the hospital and they get so nervous because people are in medical need and they're like, oh gosh, I don't want to touch them and have something worse happen to them. Right. I can promise you, if you're listening to this, that you will not hurt somebody until unless they actually like fall to the floor, which knock on wood, I feel like rarely happens, I should say, mm-hmm. you know, it's not something that's a, you know, I've had a couple of falls in the two years that I was working, but they were like very specific happening. And if your CI is right there, then hopefully they'll help you catch the person if there was a fall. I digress. You won't actually hurt the person. Right. If you take your time, you pace yourself. And especially if they're up and talking to you. And if it's a more complex patient, then I hope your CI is there with you. Yeah. And I also want whoever's listening to this that like, I'm not scaring you guys in the (laughs) care in patient setting because 
hey, I passed my acute care setting and I openly talked to my CI about how this whole situation made me feel and we had a good conversation towards the end and we left in good terms. I learned a lot and look at me now, I am working in the <laughs> hospital. I think the first time I got a job in a hospital setting, I was, it was mainly because I wanted to get over the fear of the acute care setting. And I got good mentorship. I really asked for mentorship and that was really, really helpful. Good. So don't be discouraged if you do want to do the acute care setting. Yeah. And then also a lot of students I've also have heard or noticed that they all think that they're going to fail, even if there's like an ounce of conflict. I mean, someone can totally message me after listening to this and disagree and tell me I'm completely wrong. But I think the only way you will fail a clinical is if you truly are practicing poorly or unsafely. So like if you have an argument with your CI or you disagree on something or you're not getting along or whatever, it doesn't mean you're going to fail. Just continue pushing through and make sure you're learning as much as you can and you're doing right by the patient. Right. And unless it's more of the CI is being really bad, I mean, you know, if it's really, really affecting you to a profound level that's affecting the way that you're learning, then just open up about it and address it with the school because that CI doesn't deserve to be a CI in that case. Exactly. And you get your school can work with you to find either another site or at that site, make have another CI, talk to their manager, whoever. So the -hmm. right school will help you out. So don't be afraid to speak up. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Love it. If someone were to say, hey, as a PT now, what tips would you give to students who are making their way through PT school? What would you say? The first thing that comes to mind is always going to be work smarter, not harder. Like it. I like it. Yeah, because I mean, I think the main reason why I burnt out so much was because I was working like crazy and making less income. Although, you know, like even though the money isn't the whole aspect of why I went into PT school, it's like money plays a big factor. Mm-hmm. You want to get paid what you're worth. Exactly. And so now being in the home health, I feel less burnt out in a way, even though there's a lot of paperwork, I find time to have more flexibility for myself and um, have time on the weekends or else you guys wouldn't be hearing me right now on this podcast (laughs) on a freaking Saturday. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So um, work smarter, not harder. Make sure you pay your worth. Oh my gosh. Make sure you pay your damn worth. <laughs> I've seen PT jobs that offer a salary of 25 per hour. And I'm like, what the fuck? No, no one can accept this job, please. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I say like, I mean, I try not to give a hard number because every like different parts of the country cost of living is so different. I say if I have to give a number, if someone was holding a gun to my head right now and I had to absolutely give a number, I would say never anything less than 70, hard 70, soft 75. As in per hour, you mean? 75K. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Salary. Yeah. But depends on the setting too. Right. right. Okay. In California, I would say about 78 to 80K for ortho, but home health them six figures please you know yeah, like I mean? in california pays a lot like i was just talking to someone recently who's a director of rehab for home health in california and i was like how much did you say you are making sir i was like that is incredible new york 
oh, oh god i could rant about new york especially oh, new york god. city the pay for what the cost of living is in new york city for the shoe box that you will have to pay two thousand dollars a month for is just disgusting new york city does not pay well at all new york city i was talking to someone else last week they live in charlotte and they said that you can get a house like a 1800 square foot house with a backyard for like three hundred and sixty five thousand dollars oh and the cost and the salary that they were making as an outpatient ortho pt after several years was like in the mid 70s i'm like okay that can work that's somewhat comparable i said you know my parents have a little shoebox on a ranch in the outer boroughs of manhattan and they said it could be appraised for like almost seven hundred thousand dollars i was like are you kidding me (laughs) and in new york ortho pts get paid in the 70s i know it's crazy okay so when I was a third year as a physical therapist student, um, I started applying for jobs everywhere. So I started applying in New York, Georgia, Florida, California, because I had no idea where I wanted to go. So um, let me tell you the numbers that I got as an offer. So in New York City, Manhattan, I was expecting at least like 85 to 90K oh, no. because cost of living. I'm scared. For oh, what Okay, outpatient ortho. Outpatient ortho. Outpatient ortho. They offered me 65K. I was like, what the? Wait, no. Yes, 65K. Okay, I like, we need to talk off the podcast because I need to know who that is. That is disgusting. I haven't heard and my colleagues take anything lower than like 74. Thank God. Right. Well, I think the norm will be around between 72 and 75K, I believe, in New York. I don't know if it changed lately. Mm-hmm. And then, okay, so let's say California. It's not reflecting the employer that I had, but I'm going to give a range. For California, it was between 75 to 80K. And I negotiated for more, obviously, because I, I was like, oh, I have multiple job offers. Give me more. And so Always you- say you have multiple offers. Right. It's good. That way you can negotiate. So definitely have multiple offers. Um, and, and this was also outpatient ortho. And then Georgia, I applied to Georgia and they offered me 62K, I believe. And I'm like, that's not even far from what New York offered me. Right. And then on top of that, I told them, oh, I think I'm going to go to California because I got a job offer there. And then they were very insistent about me going to Georgia. So they offered me like a 3K raise. So 65K and it matched New York City's pay. And I'm like, what the? Oh my God. So mind blowing. But you know what? This is, I'm glad we're having this conversation because this brings such transparency to like when people are always like, well, what's the minimum amount you should take? And like, you can't really say because it varies so much by setting, by location across the country and cost of living, whether you're in the city, the suburb, a rural area, what you have access to, et cetera. But like my friends who came out with bachelor's degrees in college are starting at 60, 70 K. So like, if you just came out with a doctorate and especially if you're working at a clinic where you're seeing two, three patients every hour, please don't, please do not take something that low. I might be like being biased just because I am a physical therapist, but honestly, with a doctorate degree, we should all be, no matter what setting, we should be getting at least six-figure salary. Yeah. 
but also with the whole insurance system and the Medicare reimbursement cuts, it's just been so terrible on us. And this is probably why a lot of PTs are going into cash pay. And there is honestly a lot of potential with that, but it just might, in the sense where it might just not be targeted towards like the, the population that can't afford it mm-hmm. and whatnot, but it has a lot of potential on it. And on top of that, even outpatient PTs, I've seen outpatient PTs in a clinic actually get offered six figures, honestly. Yeah. So it's never impossible. So what I'm saying is don't ever let anybody lowball you. Mm-hmm. Seriously. Even if that means you're out of a job for another few weeks, if you can afford taking a, you know, a couple of weeks where you are not working, if you can seriously afford it, like actually sit down and make sure you can do it, please. But like, if you can put yourself in that situation, then go find something better because more people that take those lower jobs, the more they're going to stay around. The lower you start, the harder it is also to then increase your rate for the future. Right. And also you have to factor in like how your caseload is, especially if you're going to be paid per hour or even per patient, you want to make sure that you have that full caseload. So let's say they offer you, yeah, we're going to offer you this big amount of money, but you only have like three patients a day. It seriously makes no sense for you. Yep. Especially, yeah, PRN, anything hourly, make sure you're getting what they can guarantee you and and get it in writing. And if they can't guarantee, then you move on. Yeah, move on. Wow, love this. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, um, honestly, I feel like PT is honestly overall a great setting. Honestly, every single profession will have its pros and cons, right? Grass is not always greener on the other side. Yeah, definitely. So I always think back in in the back of my head, like, oh, should I have pursued something else? Especially after being so burnt out, going through COVID and all of that. You know, I could have been an engineer and made like six figure easy from the from my house or whatever. But honestly, um, I don't think I would change my profession, but I would definitely change certain things as in how I view things as a student and making sure that I went to cheaper schools maybe or gone through like a way to get more scholarships. But I don't want anybody listening to this and thinking, oh my gosh, PT is scary and have so many doubts. If you are going for the right reasons, if you really truly are passionate about helping people getting more independent through mobility, definitely this is for you. But if you're thinking you're going to PTE school and then you're going to make hella money, (laughs) oh please, this is not the right path for you. And that's true because even if you think of there are PAs or NPs or physicians who are working 50, 60 plus hours a week and they're on call, is the $200,000 that plus that they're $300,000 plus that they're making actually worth it? So money can only get you so far. Think of the quality of life you have. Think of the hours you work that you're not on call or are on call, et cetera. Because there's plenty of people that are like, oh, I mean, this could be like a whole nother episode where we talk like, oh, I want to be a PA. I want to quit PT and go be a PA or it's only two years of school versus three years of school. Like the grass is not always greener on the other side. And we can say that because we've been out for a couple of years now. And I'm sure we've, we've all had thoughts of, oh, I wish I did this. I wish I did that. 
but is it truly going to be the satisfaction that you're looking for? So, right. yeah, and this is a little bit off tangent, but like, you know, I work on weekends in a hospital. I was documenting and I saw this MD right next to me on the documentation station. And I'm like, oh, hey, I haven't seen you. I actually see you here every weekend, you know, every, every weekend shift I'm here. And then he was like, yeah, I've worked 360 days in one year. And I'm like, 360 days in one year? Like, yep. because they're so short staffed. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it's, it's crazy, but you really never know what's going on with the other professions either. So we have attendings that work or residents even that work like three weeks straight, like yeah. 15 to 20 days, no days off. And that's right. 12 hours every single day. Do you want that life? Think about it before you make any decisions. Right. And we can't really speak on the other profession, of course, but it's just what everyone prioritizes different things in every field. So you have to think of what is good for you, your family. Are you married? Do you have kids? Where are you living? Or are you, do you have loans? No loans, whatever. That's the story. Whatever that's for you, (laughs) baby. That's exactly what you need. Exactly. Sunny, where can people find you if they have questions or want to reach out? So they can reach out to me on Instagram. It's at cpt.5unny, five as an S, but that might be subject to change in the future. But (laughs) definitely reach out to me if you have any questions. I'll get to it whenever I'm free. But yeah, I have a lot of resources and a lot of humor in that page. So feel free (laughs) to follow me. (laughs) And she has a puppy, so... Yeah, my little puppy who has been like all over the place while we were doing this podcast, he has finally chilled down right now. Okay, guys, you heard it here first. You know where to find Sunny and you know where to find me if you have any questions. Thank you so much for hopping on, Sunny. It was a pleasure. And I guess we'll have to do a part two because we have so many great things to talk about. I know, we definitely should. And I need to meet you in person. (laughs) One day, (laughs) coast to coast. All right. Thanks, guys. No problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the All Things Physical Therapy podcast. Make sure to leave a review and subscribe to stay updated on new episodes. You can find more episodes like these on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And to stay up to date, follow dpt.steph on Instagram or go to www.dptsteph.com.